Hey, just before we get going, I just wanted to let you know, in case you don't know already, we do another show called ARR Raw, which is roundtable discussions with some co-hosts that, that are there every month. We do it as a monthly show, and we have some guests in for some of them. It's just a real fun time to sit around and talk motorcycles, talk travel, and there's a lot of stuff to learn, and here's why. The co-hosts are Grant Johnson from Horizons Unlimited, Sam Manicom, who is an adventure traveler and author, We've got Shirley Hardy Ricks, also an author, an adventure traveler. Brian Ricks, her husband, author, adventure traveler. And Graham Field, again, another author, an adventure traveler. And, and the group brings together so much information and varied information. Everyone doesn't always agree with each other as far as uh, the opinions of different things that come onto the show. So, And that's what makes it so much fun. So if you enjoy what we're doing here, I think you'll like ARR Raw. You'll have to subscribe separately. It's a separate show, and you can get it all the places where you, you get this show on iTunes or wherever else you happen to be downloading it from, you can go to our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and just click on the raw button and you'll see all the shows that are there. And we've got another one coming out in just a few days before November. Remember, it's a once a month show. So there it is, ARR Raw. And don't forget, you got to subscribe separately. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They have 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's www.CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregor W. Frazee. Barr. Michelle Lampier. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tart. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Glenn Hoskins. Joe Ruff. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. This is Peter Chansky uh, coming to you from Adventure Rider Radio. When you mix the two words together, adventure and travel, it often conjures up and usually conjures up visions of exotic destinations in foreign lands with foreign languages, different cultural and culinary experiences and different sights and smells, the whole bit. But not all adventure is found beyond the horizon because you got to remember that every time you visit an exotic new land that's completely different to you with, and feels very foreign 
it's almost certainly someone else's home, like unless you're in the Arctic or something like that. And even areas of that, in some cases, may be someone's home. But the fact is that not everyone has the time, the money, the freedom, or, or even the inclination for that matter, to travel the world. Yet, adventure is everywhere. And if you stop and look at your own area, your own town, your own neighborhood, your own state, province, country for that matter, you can envision it through the eyes of a foreigner. And I think that's when you really see the beauty in it. You know, for many, adventure is not far from your own doorstep. Today, you're going to meet Lance Gines from Idaho in the United States. Lance is a lifelong motorcyclist. He's an adventure rider, and now he's an author. And he wrote a book called Into the Horizon, A Lifelong Obsession with Motorcycles. The book features stories of adventure and travel, and many of them are not far from his home. My name is Lance Gines. I live in Boise, Idaho, and uh, I have a motorcycle touring and rental business, and uh, I also um, have written a book and uh, continue to write more stories um, about motorcycles and motorcycle travel. Well, Lance, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Happy to be here. I'm holding your book right now in my hand, Into the Horizon, A Lifelong Obsession with Motorcycles. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. But but first, I'm sort of, I know what your backstory is, at least a little bit of it. Um, I'd like you to tell the listener how you got into motorcycle riding. Oh, man, I've been into motorcycle riding pretty much my entire life. You know, I started when I was six years old. And, um, you know, that had had been a couple of years of begging my father to give me a motorcycle. Um, but in reality, um, you know, he was, he was pushing things back cause you know, this was back in the early 1970s and we didn't have all of the motorcycle choices that we have today. And, uh, we were pretty much restricted to picking up something used because, um, you know, my, my dad was a, a farmer and a factory worker and, you know, he was raising six kids and uh, didn't have um, a lot of, you know, extra money, you know. And uh, so it took me a couple of years of begging, you know, uh, him to buy me a motorcycle. And finally, one day he's picking up parts for whatever motorcycle he was riding at the time. Um, and uh, I was sitting over, you know, on this little Kawasaki a 90cc motorcycle that was technically too big for me, but it was the smallest thing that they had in the shop. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there, you know, making the, the, the room, room noises and pretending that I was riding this thing. And he comes along and asked me if I like that one. And I'm like, Oh yeah, this one's really cool. And uh, he's like, well, you better get pushing it for the parking lot before I change my mind. And, uh, you know, little did I know, he had, you know, already paid for the bike and I think it was a couple hundred bucks or something like that. It wasn't a lot of money at that point. He was, you know, getting paid like $2 and 50 cents an hour. So I guess it's easy for me to say it wasn't a lot of money, but, uh, so anyhow, this place was in the basement of a sporting goods store. And so he had to help me push it up the ramp and, and, and get it out and get it loaded in the truck. But, uh, you know, I was super, super excited to get this little, little machine and, get home. I, I grew up on a, 
on a farm in Jerome, Idaho. And uh, all the sand out, or all the soil out there was super sandy. And uh, <clears throat> so it was pretty easy. Um, you know, if you landed, you weren't going to really get hurt. We had a, a, a rodeo arena where my dad was into training horses. And uh, he would till up this rodeo arena to, uh, to start riding the horses in. They would wear them down a little bit, uh, you know, easier <clears throat> because, you know, it was, you know, eight, ten inches deep. And so I'd take that bike out there and ride it around in this tilled up area and just, you know, fall over and get up and take me ten minutes to kickstart the damn thing because at that point, you know, the, the – float in the carburetor was stuck or something was going on with it. And, uh, so I got plenty of training on, on, on starting and crashing and getting the motorcycle running again. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, just started riding in sand. So, you know, now I look back and I'm, I'm grateful for all that. But at that moment in time, I was like, Oh my gosh, I wish I had a better area to ride. But, uh, you know, so I've been riding motorcycles all my life. You know, I, I look back and there were very few years that I didn't own a motorcycle. Well, you um, got your um, your first street bike when you were 14. Yeah. Is that because it's a farm area? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's probably why um, why we did. I don't know how common that was. You know, I mean, I got my driver's license in, you know, 1980. And, um, and yeah, maybe it was because it was a, a rural community. I know that the whole state of Idaho, that was the age where you could get your driver's license. And and I was fortunate enough that, you know, a, a good friend of ours was the driver's training instructor. And so I turned 14 in May and I started driver's training a week later and took the summer course. And so it only took me six weeks and I had a driver's license. The book Into the Horizon, A Lifelong Obsession with Motorcycles that you wrote, this is your first book, volume one, it's marked. What is this book about? Uh, the book is uh, 14 short stories um, about my experiences um, with motorcycles, um, getting my first motorcycle and, and learning how to ride and, um, and some of my antics, um, you know, as a, a young kid at six years old, and, uh, you know, terrorizing the, the, the neighborhood, um, which really wasn't a neighborhood, uh, you know, our next, our closest neighbor was a quarter of a mile away from us, but I did my best to terrorize them too. Cause I ran out of area. We had 120 acres, um, to, to, you know, for our farm. And so I had to go into other guys' farms in order to, you know, extend my range and start, you know, exploring. And, uh, so yeah, I was terrorizing everybody and, and their cattle and, and their horses and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, more than once a neighbor called my, called our, our house and, and asked my father to ask me to keep my motorcycle off his property. But, uh, but anyhow, and then, um, I've got stories in there about, you know, my first tour that I took with my dad and, and my dad's always been my, my best buddy. Um, you know, in motorcycling and other stuff in life too. We've always been really tight. And, uh, so I've ridden more miles with him than I've ridden with anybody else. And, um, you know, um, I'm at around 1.5 million miles that I've, uh, I've tabulated on two wheels. 
and um, and he's been there for at least a million of those. So we got a number of stories in there with him. That's really special to spend your time with your father like that. It's not very common. Yeah, you know, I've I've come to to realize, you know, as an adult that it's not very common. Um, for me, it was just the norm, you know, but that was all I knew. My dad was there with me for everything in, in, in my life, you know, and, uh, his big thing was horses. And so, you know, I learned to ride a horse when I was, um, less than two years old and, and, uh, you know, rode my own horse by the time I was about three or four. And, um, but he was always into motorcycles too, which I'm really grateful for because, you know, that was, that's always been my big passion is, is the motorcycles. And he started taking me riding with him when, when I was only a couple of years old, he put me in front of him on whatever old motorcycle it was that he had at that time. I mean, I, you know, some of the earliest ones that I remember, he had a, a Honda, um, 754, if you remember those. So it was, you know, it was a Honda 750, you know, four stroke street bike. And then he had an old Suzuki 750 triple two stroke, which was a cool machine. That thing would scream up to about 90 miles an hour. I think it got top out at 90, but it get from zero to 90 real quick. And always had a good time riding around with him on that, you know, we'd, uh, we get our chores done, you know, and I had chores to do around the farm from the earliest of ages, but we'd get our, our morning chores done on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever. And we take off and we'd ride up to, to the mountains, up to Anderson ranch or pine or catch them in sun Valley or whatever, and have ourselves a bite of something to eat. And, you know, some of my, my best memories, we would go to this place that serve these huge pancakes and I could only eat like half of it. But, uh, you know, we'd go up there and I'd get my own, you know, plate size pancake and uh, then we turn around and ride back home, and uh, you know it's just great times. And and, and so yeah, I, I know that I'm truly blessed um, to have that type of relationship with my dad. Was um, it the bike that did it? Is that the common thread? Is that the connector? No, no. We just we've always had we've always had that type of a relationship, and so so it wasn't only the bike, but it was horses and it was it was farm equipment and you know i was riding on the farm equipment when i was really really little and um, i was driving the tractor so he would turn the tractor at the you know the end of the field and get it headed straight back up the field and i would just you know steer it and keep it going in the right direction and uh, he'd be throwing hay bales on what we call the slip and so basically it was just a a big wooden you know um like large door or something like that and um, he would be stacking hay bales on there and we just slide this thing along and uh, slide it back down you know to the area where we stored the hay and then we'd go to work and unload all the hay off of there and we'd go back out and get another load you know and uh, he just took me with him everywhere you know and he and my mom divorced. So I, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, three sisters that uh, were, you know, in the first first family. And, um, and then there's a brother and a sister from my dad's second marriage. But uh, so there were my three sisters. We were all within four years. 
And, uh, and I was always high energy. And so my mom would be just like, take this, take this boy, take this boy, get him out of the house, you know? And, uh, so I was just spending all my time with my dad and, and if it wasn't motorcycles, it was horses or it was, it was, it was something, you know, going, driving truck. He, he, he drove truck part time, you know, during the harvest and stuff. And I'd be right there in the, in the seat with him. And, and at that time you could, you know, you weren't all these seat belts, you know, and car seat rules and all that other stuff. I would just stand in the bent seat of the, the truck and hold on to the gun rack and uh, bounce along down the road, you know? And you think about trying to get away with that today, it, it just wouldn't fly. <laughs> but, uh, so no, you know, we just, it was, a, it was a relationship and it, it, and it didn't matter what we were doing. We were just lucky enough that a lot of that pertained to motorcycles. The book has uh, a bunch of different stories in here. It's not just all one story. And the interesting thing is for a motorcycle book, it's not an overlander book. It's not a round-the-world travel book. This is about adventures that are closer to home. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, you know, all of the adventures either take place in Idaho or they they start and finish in Idaho. Um, And, uh, you know, some of them are backcountry on KLR 650s, you know, that's where we started when uh, we decided we wanted to get off of the pavement. But before that, there was a whole range of different motorcycles. You know, my first one was a KZ 400 Kawasaki uh, when I was 14. Terrible bike to try to, to get very, very far on. Um, so the first real tour that I went, we, we rode two up on my dad's Goldwing. He had like a, I don't know, 75 Goldwing. And, um, and we took a trip to Montana and across the panhandle of Idaho into to Washington and Oregon and then, you know, back back home to Jerome. And, uh, and and he let you drive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thinking back, you know, now I've I've got boys that are, you know, in their late 20s and their early 30s. And uh, they were, you know, they were riding their own motorcycle when they were, you know, 14. They we, we would we would take little tours, but I would loan them bike. I would never in my life get on behind one of my sons. <laughs> and so I, I looked back at my dad and I was like, man, this guy was really, really trusting to allow me to be the, 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 the driver of this gold wing with him sitting on the back and me being a complete maniac. You know, because, I mean, we were coming down the low, low Highway 12 from from uh, Missoula, Montana to Lewiston, Idaho on this trip. And, you know, it's a 50 it's a 50 mile per hour speed limit. And I was hitting, you know, 80 and 85 miles an hour coming down through there. And, um, you know, he, he would put up with it for a while. And then he'd smack me on the back of the helmet and tell me it was maybe it was time to slow it down a little bit and you know i would re- reluctantly relent and, and and back off and you know finally he got to where it's like okay pull this thing over i'm i'm taking i'm taking back over <laughs> so, i've got some gray hairs from this ride now i'm gonna get back <laughs> i'm gonna be up front yeah exactly but you know the next day he turned around and let me at it again and um you know, he, he definitely is a lot more, uh, a lot more willing than I, I think I ever was as, as a parent. 
Um, although I do have a, a seven-year-old son now as well, and so I've got uh, I've got six kids total, and my youngest is seven, and 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 he and I have that relationship that my dad and I have, and uh, so who knows? You know, he's going to be he's going to be fourteen and. And I'm going to be in my late fifties. I might be crazy enough to get on the motorcycle behind him and let him, you know, take me take me for a ride. I don't know. We'll see. That's probably not very likely because we've got enough bikes that we can each ride our own. So, but uh, anyhow, good times, good times with my dad, and uh, and then beyond, uh, you know, the stories with him, I got a story or two in there where where I took my my older boys when they were just in their early teenage years. And uh, we went down the California coast and back up through Nevada and Utah. And then got a number of, uh, of stories in there where I'm just riding with my buddies, you know, and uh, my dad used to go on all of our trips, but we've reached a point where, um, you know, he's 80 years old now. And so he doesn't want to ride nearly as much, as uh, as I do, and so he just goes from time to time, and so I've had to, you know, start riding with a lot of buddies, and so there's going to be even more in you know future volumes that are going to be spent riding with my riding mates, you know. What do you think the reader will get, or what do you expect the reader to get from the book? Well, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, it's kind of been interesting. I've I've heard a lot of different feedback. Um, you know, I, there's there's been guys that weren't even into motorcycling that uh, picked up the book and read it, and uh, then I'm getting calls, you know, hey, you don't know me, uh, but I read your book, and uh, I'd really love to sit down and talk about motorcycles because I think I want to get one, and uh, so there's been some of that, and then there's been other guys that would be that would be saying things like, oh man, you know, even though the storyline was different. Um, it still totally reminded me of, uh, you know, rides that I've been on or I've ridden those areas and it, it kind of brought back memories. And then I've got, uh, you know, I've got people that, that don't ride and have no intentions of riding. They said, yeah, man, I was laughing my ass off because some of the situations that you find yourself in, um, were just so funny and, uh, so I don't know. I just I, I want the reader to be entertained. I I have no real desire to to teach anything. I'm not trying to teach anybody anything. Um, I really just want to uh, you know share my stories. And I think there's a lot of people out there that probably have stories to share, and I encourage them to do so um, because I know I like reading other guys' uh, tales of their travels and and their little escapades and whatnot, you know? So it's sort of like sitting around a, a campfire and hearing some good stories from some buddies. Totally. Totally. And that's the whole idea, you know, and the book really came to be, uh, mostly we've got my wife, Ellen to blame for the book actually ever becoming a book. You know, I threatened for years and years to, to write some of these stories down but uh, it wasn't until the winter of 2013 
Um, it was pretty cold and pretty icy. Everything was frozen pretty hard here. And uh, I hadn't been able to get out on the bike for a good couple of weeks. It was Christmas time. And she was working on, you know, trying to bake some stuff for, for Christmas dinner or whatever. And I was in the kitchen just, you know, making life miserable for her. And uh, she's like, just get the hell out of here. I'm like, there's nothing to do. She says, well, just sit down and, and, and start writing that book that you keep threatening to write. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that? And she says, well, just sit down and start typing. Just open a Word document. And I'm like, okay, well, show me how to do that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I didn't even I didn't even know how to open a Word document at that point, <laughs> and uh, so she she came in, you know, did a couple clicks on there and brought up a new blank document. She's like, okay, now just start telling your story. And uh, so my first one that I that I wrote was my dad and my trip to uh, Alaska. That was something that had been in the making for a long time. We kept talking about we wanted to go to Alaska. We wanted to go to Alaska. But, you know, we were riding um, these motorcycles that probably weren't overly reliable and dependable. We're definitely street-oriented. And, and at that time in our minds, we thought, oh, well, we're going to Alaska. And so we, we can't go on – you know, 75 Goldwing, we can't go on an 85 Yamaha FJ 1100. We got we to gotta get ourselves something like a BMW. And, uh, and I don't know why we thought these things, but that's what we thought. And so finally in 2003, we, we each bought a new BMW 1150GS, packed them up and took off. And uh, we, we ended up riding a little over 7,000 miles in 11 days. And, um, and it was just, you know, because we didn't have a lot of time. And it was the first time that I'd ever taken vacation time from, from my job. And uh, I didn't really feel like I could be gone for very long. And so we had allocated a total of 12 days for this trip and uh, ended up using, you know, 11 and a half of those days, but we had a great time and, uh, we learned a lot and we did it on the cheap. We, uh, we stayed in, in campgrounds every single night. Um, and I carried along a, a can opener and a, you know, a, a, a spoon and a fork and a knife. And, uh, we would stop and pop open a can of, you know, peaches or, can of uh, chili beans or whatever, and and that's what we ate most of the time, um, and uh, kept it pretty inexpensive that way. And and then we did stop, you know, and, and we had to well, once we got to Alaska, we had to stop for, you know, some halibut and you know those things that you got to get when you're in Alaska. <laughs> but um, so anyhow, but after, oh, I don't know probably a day and a half, I had the rough draft of that story completed. And, um, I told my wife, I said, okay, read this and, um, you know, tell me whether I should just delete it off of the computer and forget this. Or if you think that there's some potential that 
you know, might actually be able to, to publish this and, and somebody would read it and, and, and think that, oh my gosh, you know, that was, that was entertaining. And, uh, so, so she took the time to read it and uh, came back in the room. She had a little bit of a tear in her eye and, uh, I'm like, oh my God, it was that bad, was it? And she's like, no, actually, she said it was really, really that good. She goes, I didn't, I didn't realize that uh, you actually had any talent for writing. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you don't really need to be blowing that kind of smoke at me, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. And uh, you know, so this was this was Christmas, and by uh, mid February, I had uh, the 14 stories finished and uh, off to the editor and uh, they came back from the editor totally totally destroyed and uh, so I went back through and reworked them and put them back the way that they were and I just said you know what the hell you know Ellen you're gonna have to be my editor and make sure that there's not too many typos and you know too many mistakes in here I said but you know even if there are a few whatever People are still going to get the gist, and uh, and then I found a found a guy that uh, just did a great job of helping me lay the book out and get it all submitted to Amazon to uh, their um, Create Space self publishing, and uh, yeah, the next thing I knew it was a reality, and uh, it, it was it was pretty fulfilling, and it was pretty exciting to be able to do something like that, you know, even not being a a, a real true writer, you know. Well, I mean, once you've done it, you are. So you've got a book out now. Right. Now you're a writer and you're an author. Yeah. It's as simple as that. But but you you really do have this lifelong obsession with motorcycles because now you're doing the, the motorcycle rental business as well. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and that's really kind of a dream come true. You know, I've been uh, I've been working as a hairstylist for, you know, 33 years and, um, and that's been good to me. But, uh, you know, all along... Um, I've always wanted to do something in the motorcycle industry and uh, never really thought um, that I would ever actually do that. But uh, with, you know, the whole backcountry discovery route organization, opening up these different routes in the different states and then opening one up here in Idaho and then having a number of bodies who have come here to ride with me and other guys that live locally here that are pretty well connected in the whole BDR, you know, association. Uh, I started kind of talking about the idea of renting some motorcycles so that guys, you know, wouldn't have to ship their bike over here. You know, they strongly encouraged me to do that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really worked out. It's really worked out well. And, and, and my goal is within a few years that uh, maybe that's all I'm doing. You know, I can, I can step away from doing hair and, and, and just do motorcycles and, you know, figure out some, you know, trips to Mexico or Central America or South America to do during the, our winter months and uh, just see where we go, you know, but uh, either that or spend the winter months just, you know, hanging out and, and, and going and riding with friends down in, in the Southern part of the, the country or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I feel fortunate that, um, you know, it's, I think it's coming around. It's, it's, it's looking like it can be a legitimate business. 
It's interesting how the the formation of the backcountry discovery routes has such a spin-off effect. I mean, because you're saying, you know, that that brings people to your area. It, it has them renting motorcycles from you. And, and it, obviously it's happening everywhere. And there's probably all kinds of other things too, accommodations, the whole bit. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. You know, I, I, I don't, I'm sure that the route does the same thing in a lot of the other states. I haven't ridden a lot of the other routes just because, you know, I'm so busy these days right here in Idaho. But uh, the amount of business that we bring to teeny tiny little towns is just amazing. And those people are so grateful for the business that we bring them. And they really have started to cater to the adventure motorcyclists to a great degree. You know, we went in and we we asked them for certain things, like the places that were carrying fuel. We were like, would you, you know, be interested in bringing in premium fuel? Because a lot of these motorcycles, um, they just, they, they call for premium fuel and they run better on premium fuel. And the majority of them were, were happy to do so, you know, especially after the first season of the BDR. And they saw that um, they would sell all of that fuel. You know, they didn't want to be buying this expensive fuel and then not sell it. And once they saw that they'd be selling it, they were they were happy to bring it in. And, um, you know, we, we've seen them spruce up their accommodations that they have for guys that don't want to camp, the guys that want to actually stay in a room. And um, they just they're super excited to see the adventure riders coming through. And uh, and that's pretty rewarding, you know, to to know that. We, as a group of adventure riders, are affecting, you know, the lifestyle and the livelihoods of complete strangers. You know, people that we that we don't know that, uh, you know, are are really kind of taking us in as, as as family for, you know, that evening or that hour or whatever that we're there. You know, so yeah, I think it's a great thing. I'm so excited about the future of, uh, of the BDRs and the future of adventure motorcycling and um, super excited with all of the new models that are coming out. You know, when, when I first decided to get off of the pavement and get, you know, into the back country or whatever, we pretty much had the choice of a Kawasaki KLR or, a, you know, a used Transalp or something like that and, and BMW. And, you know, at that point, I couldn't afford a BMW. I wanted one, but I couldn't afford one. And now I'm happy to happy to see that we've got so many choices at so many different price points that uh, anybody that wants to get into adventure riding, there's no excuse why they can't, you know. The book is called Into the Horizon, A Lifelong Obsession with Motorcycles. It's volume one by Lance Gines. And if you're if you're heading to Idaho and you're going to run the backcountry discovery route or or whatever you're looking to rent a bike, Lance will be the person to to talk to for that. Lance, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on and telling us about your book. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Well, that was Lance Gines from Idaho in the United States. His book is called Into the Horizon: A Lifelong Obsession with Motorcycles, Volume One, and you can get that book through Amazon.
Where were you in 1983? Well, it was 1983, 33 years ago, that Andy Goldfein started Aerostitch. He started it with an honest and simple goal to manufacture motorcycle garments that fit right, that were lightweight, that offered protection from the weather, um, as well as from a crash. And he's been doing it ever since. Today, Aerostitch is a top brand for serious motorcyclists, both for street riding and adventure riding. They offer the garments in 61 sizes, and I've talked about this before. 61 sizes means that your jacket is going to fit right, and they alter them as well. You can alter it before or after. If you think your old jacket fits fine, then I suggest you have not felt the fit of an Aerostitch, and I'm talking from experience. Nowadays, Aerostitch sells everything under the sun for your motorcycle, including heated clothing. They got a whole load of that, all the connectors and everything, and that'll certainly extend your riding season if you're getting into winter now, which a lot of us are www.aerostitch.com forward slash ARR. And of course, make sure you use that forward slash ARR. That lets them know you're coming from Adventure Rider Radio. Also, when you order, use the code ARR. And of course, AR means Adventure Rider Radio, right? Because that'll get you 10% off or free shipping if you're a return customer. Make sure anytime you deal with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Now, if you find yourself wanting more distance than your tank will allow you to go on your bike, which I think a lot of us have that problem, there is a solution, and I've got it for you. Camel Tank. Camel Tank is the manufacturer of high-quality auxiliary tanks for motorcycles. Now, in my mind, an auxiliary tank isn't really truly functional unless it operates without having to mess around with it, without having to flip switches and turn knobs and try and get it to transfer fuel, all that sort of stuff. Camel Tank is designed so that you don't have to mess with it. You put the fuel in the auxiliary tank, and afterwards you don't worry about it. The fuel is automatically drawn out of the auxiliary tank into the main tank. It uses the auxiliary first, which is the way it should work. There's no pumps running, nothing. It it works off the vacuum for the system. You'd have to go by their website to understand fully how it works. If you don't want the extra fuel, you don't want the extra weight, um, you're not interested in using it that, that day or that week, you just don't use it. You just use your regular tank. It's as simple as that. It's a really nice setup. Corey Hansen, the guy that built the tank, he did it out of a need for himself. He found the same thing. He went on a a trip with his bike and he found he just didn't have enough capacity and he couldn't find an extra tank. And after looking around, he came up with the idea for Camel Tank. It sort of looks like a printer cartridge. It's really beautifully designed and crafted to fit into the bike. They're simple to install. You have to drop by their website to see their installations, but I've looked at the videos and there's really nothing technical to it. Drop by their website, have a look, www.camel-adv.com. That's www.camel-adv.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. So remember I mentioned ARR Raw at the start of this episode? Well, what we decided to do with this one is finish it off with a snippet of ARR Raw. So you get an idea of what it sounds like if you haven't heard it before. Now, if you have, don't worry, because this isn't an episode you've heard before. Now, on this episode, we have a couple of guests. We've got our our usual uh, roundtable, which is, uh, as I mentioned before, Grant Johnson, Sam Manicom, Graham Field, Shirley Hardy Ricks, and Brian Ricks and myself. But we also have guests on there. The guests are Lisa Thomas and Simon Thomas from To Ride the World. So you can hear their voices in there as well. And this is what it sounds like when you get a a bunch of motorcyclists together and you, you sort of remove the rules.
Graham, we were just... do you carry a pillow when you travel? Oh, I know. Um, I've got one right now, but... <laughs> <laughs> do your jammies have feet in them? They got a big rip in the ass, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I hate that. Didn't take long. Did anyone else have something they wanted to say about that? Yeah, uh, just one thing. I, I've got to say, um, you've got to be careful of how much weight you put on your bike. Um, I, I, I think I've related this story before about um, a couple we met who'd actually broken their bike in half with a shocker spearing through the seat because they had, you know, those huge backpacks that you have on the side of your, uh, you see backpackers carrying on their back, had yeah. two of them on either side of the bike, one across the middle, uh, two smaller bags hanging over the tank, two uh, extra um, uh, petrol uh, containers, five litres each hanging off the front, and a tool tool roll um, hanging off the bottom of the bike. And, you know, just on the bad roads in Pakistan, the bike just gave out. So um, I take um, Simon's point in relation to, you know, you're packing to what you've got. And um, also just think about the bike. You've got to put a lot of weight on it. Do some, do, if you're going to overpack the bike, do some preventative medicine. Don't just go with a standard stock bike. If you think you're going to be really taking it over, way over, above the limit that they say, you know, just just check the frame over and do some preventative gusseting because uh, we're taking these bikes to extremes, really. Well, yeah, you just made a really right. good point there because um, how many people actually look at the manufacturer's specs and see how much that weight their bike is technically yeah. allowed to carry? Very, mm. very, very, very I do. And it's surprising too with the bikes. The bigger the bike, uh, because we just did an episode on this a while back, the bigger the bike does not mean a bigger payload. Uh, I was surprised exactly. to find out that the F800 actually has a higher payload than the R1200 GS. That's yep. why yeah, I've that's got right. one of those. Hmm. Better bike. Hmm. Well, the, the other interesting <laughs> thing to realize is, and this, uh, and I if you agree with this, I think one of the easy traps that people fall into when they're setting off on their big adventures is they look at all the countries they're going to visit or maybe a singular continent and and they pack for it and at some point after the first few weeks or the first few months your brain says hang on one second um i don't need the half of this gear until the last six months or six weeks of my journey um you know you pe- people are people are surprised that you can buy items of equipment you can buy a pair of jeans a pair of flip-flops Whilst you're out traveling, there isn't the need to carry everything the minute you close your front door and pull away. Um, I mean, we, uh, we, we, we saw a couple of guys in Alaska recently. Um, we had a great ride up to Prudhoe Bay. We met half a dozen riders where we took a couple of photographs and there was barely room for them to sit on the bikes. I mean, we, it, it, looked, it looked like it had been staged for a magazine as to how to, how to rampantly overpack your bike. It looked staged. It was so stereotypical of where, where do they sit? You can buy tyres everywhere too, you know. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 we would all have a problem getting hold of a pith helmet though. Yeah. <laughs> pith helmet, don't you? Sent me a photo. He's heading off down to Mexico from uh, Florida, and uh, on one of his trips down there, he took a toilet seat. You're kidding? <laughs> no, so he's got a photo of his bike with his toilet seat hanging off the back. That luxury item. <laughs> yeah, oh, priorities. What's the double use for that? I wonder. 
Oh, well, it doesn't have to have two uses. It's only allowed. It's allowed to have just one, but it's got to be one luxury item. Brian, <laughs> is this is this a guy who actually attached his toilet seat to the back of his pannier so that he could sit on it to to use it when he was in the bush? I saw a no, photograph no, of this. Yeah, I, I I, I've seen that. that. Yeah, I've seen that. No, no, he was just hanging off the back, tied on. I think uh, I've seen uh, it in the Touratech catalogue, actually. That's <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> Th- that, that seat mounted to the pannier, that's not mounted to have stuff go into the pannier, is it? I thought maybe they're doing a bag liner or something. <laughs> oh. Oh, actually, you're talking. Now, what a great idea. Um, a <laughs> compost toilet for motorcycling. Yes, absolutely. Composting, yes, there you are. Grow your own veggies as you ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. They have 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free at maxbmw.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system, and it'll inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. Visit them at CyclePump.com. That's www.CyclePump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using this unique strapping system that's easy to use and switch from one bike to another. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. Visit them at www.greenchiliadv.com. That's www.greenchiliadv.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Hey, if you can do it, drop by our website, click on the donate button. That's www.adventureriderradio.com. Help fill the gaps here at Adventure Rider Radio. And that which you heard, by the way, at the end there, ARR Raw, uh, that's the next episode coming out. You have to subscribe separately, so drop by the website as well and click on the Raw button. There's quite a bit to find out there. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. My name's Jim Martin. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. No excuses. Ride safe. See you next week. This is Dr. Gregory W. Frazier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.